But I'm glad you're here this morning. Welcome to Pebble Creek Gospel Tabernacle. That's what it sounded like when I left to go out and greet people outside. And uh, wasn't that a great way to begin the service? Someone asked, should we have a quartet? Well, I don't like gospel music, but I like that one. So maybe I'll grow on it. No, I did like that one. That was a wonderful way to begin the service. And I do like some gospel music. I really do. Um, what might be called gospel genre. But anyway, I like a little bit of virtually everything musically. But I'm glad to see you this morning. Welcome those outside, those listening on the internet, as Tim has already said. And uh, of course, those of you that have come here today. And we have some folks back who are coming back after COVID, and we welcome all of you. And I talked to some people yesterday who said, we're almost ready to come back. That's great. Whenever you feel comfortable, we're glad to have you. Now I'm going to begin today with a story I've told before, maybe on a Wednesday night. Some of you haven't heard it. It's one of my favorite stories. You know, a good story is worth telling over and over, particularly if it connects to the text that we're going to be focusing upon, and it does connect with the text, which is found, of course, in Philippians chapter 2. And we'll begin in just a moment with verse 12. This is a story about a golfer who would golf much like Frank Page has golfed in the past. In the few times I've tried to golf, I've been invited never to return to each of those courses. <laughs> because I give it all I've got, but it's not real pretty. At all real pretty. In, in fact, it's embarrassing. My only shot that's memorable, and I remember it, I, I was in the officer's club golf course in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and it was one of these shots, and Matt, you're a big golfer, but you know it takes a normal person three or four shots to get down to the where it turns. took me my normal 45 to get to where it dog legs to the left, and then there was this huge lake, millions of acres, it seems, and then there's a green on the other side, and I'm thinking, how's this going to happen? I'll never, never, never get it in there. Because even though I hit with power, they always go straight across the ground. They never go up or rail. Those are called worm burners and terrible. It's embarrassing. So I was with a colonel friend of mine, Fulberg Colonel. He's a great golfer and somebody else. I don't know who it was. And I was just so embarrassed already because it took me 45 shots just to get down to the lake. I do whole records of the most shots ever in a golf game. So, but I'll never forget, I put it up there and I got ready and I hit it with all my might. And sure enough, instead of going up in a beautiful arc, it went straight. But I hit it so hard, it hit the lake five times and bounced and went up onto the green. And I just, my colonel friend got on his knees laughing at me and I just thought it was a thing of God. Uh, that, that I would actually not land in the water but go up. It was, it was the, the only memorable shot I've ever hit. But this other person was golfing, and it must have been like me because he lined the thing. I put it on that little white thing, whatever you call it. It's got an initial or something. But anyway, he puts it on there, and he swings and misses and hits the ground. I've done this. And it must have been in the south because it was an anthill, apparently, and kill thousands of innocent fire ants. 
So he did what I would do. He got back and he reared again and he swung with all his might. Sure enough, hit the ground again, hit the anthill again, killed thousands more innocent ants. There's finally only two ants alive. <laughs> One takes the lead and says, come on, we've got to get out of here. The other one says, well, where are we going to go? First one says, if we don't get on the ball, we're going to die. <laughs> you think about it. You just think about it. That's my kind of golfing. The only safe place for the ant is to be on top of the ball. Get on the ball or we're going to die. But that applies spiritually, doesn't it? We talked about the Sunday school this morning, being grafted in and rooted into the true vine, Jesus. That we have to remain in Him, He said. Because we don't, we won't bear the fruit and we get pruned. Get on the ball or we're going to die. But many of us are so lethargic and lazy about our spiritual life. We find ourselves not looking for how we can keep growing, but how we can just not fall apart. Three key words today, I want you to remember them, they're S-C-S, soar, climb, and shine. We'll come back to them in a moment, but soar, climb, and shine, S-C-S. Pastor, I really want to soar in my spiritual life, but I I want to be like the Bible says, I want to soar on wings with eagles. But I find myself struggling with turkeys most of my day in my week. I want to soar. I want to climb to new heights, but I find myself digging for new levels of low in my life. I want to shine like a star. That's in the scripture. But I find myself dealing with darkness most of my day. Pastor, I want to soar. I want to climb. I want to shine, but it's not what's happening in my life right now. I want us to take a true, honest look at our salvation today. I want us to be honest with the Lord. Now, you can lie to me, and I've been lied to before about salvation. We'll be again. But you can't lie to the Lord. You might even lie to yourself, but you can't lie to Him. Let's take an honest inventory, a personal inventory. Lord, am I soaring? Am I climbing? Am I shining? Or am I struggling in each of these areas? Let's take a soul check inventory, because most of us take so much for granted regarding salvation. Lord, help us to be honest with you today. Paul tells us about this salvation, what it should mean to us, what it should be like as we look at Philippians 2, beginning with verse 12. Look there with me this morning, please. It's a powerful passage. And yes, my favorite. Look at it. It says, So then, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even now more, in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So is Paul saying, it's up to you, brothers and sisters, work it out on your own. Figure it out. No, but 
we're going to see what it means. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you, look at this, enabling you both to will and to act for His good purpose, right? Do everything without grumbling, without arguing, so that you may be, what? Blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like what? Stars in the world. Hold firmly, hold firmly the message of life. Then I can boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run in vain or labor for nothing. Or even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. In other words, even if I die, Paul says, I'm glad. And I rejoice with all of you in the same way you should also rejoice and share your joy with me. We need revival in our land, don't we? We do. We desperately do. But you think it's going to start in the Senate chambers this week? Or in the representatives? Or in the Supreme Court? No, it will not. It'll start in the local church. Where we say, Lord, I want to soar. I want to climb. I want to shine. I want to soar. I want to climb. I want to shine. Can you say those out loud with me? I want to soar. I want to climb. I want to shine. First look with me. It's the first major point. It's verse 12. The command. What is it? It's to work out our salvation. This suggests that God has already worked in us and now He wants us to work it out. He's already worked in us. Now He wants us to work it out. That's what He says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The chief characteristic of the true believer is obedience. It's a following of Christ. We work for our salvation? No. No, no. But I'm telling you, the vast majority of churches in the upstate teach this. That you work for your salvation. And there are many people, even within evangelicalism, that really believe, I've got to work my way into heaven. Well, I just hope at the end God is going to count up my good and my bad. Maybe my good will uh, out-tip the bad. There are a lot of people who believe this. But I'm telling you, that's a lie from the pits of hell. You cannot work for your salvation. But Paul says you need to work it out. You need to work it out. Now the Greek word here means to carry to full completion. He is saying you've already enjoyed this awesome gift that God has given you. And it's time to do something with it with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. That's the command. Work it out in obedience. That's what God wants. Now, second, the commission is to be expressed as God working through us. Now, listen to me. In verse 13, Paul pleads for them to be obedient to Christ in his absence. He said, I'm gone. I know I should be there. I know I want to be there. I know you want me to be there, but I'm not there. But God's not absent. So even in my absence, I am pleading for you to be obedient unto the Lord to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is already working in you. Before their conversion, the Spirit of God had been convicting, confronting, and He does that to us, doesn't He? 
And if you ever get to a point as a lost person and you say, I don't feel God speaking to me anymore, you're in trouble. You're in bad trouble. But God speaks to us in our lostness, convicting us, the Bible says, John 16, 11, of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. The Holy Ghost speaks to our hearts and urges. And you feel those urges. You know He's pushing. He's pleading. He's begging. Well, He did that with the Corinthians. He first worked on them, and now as believers, He's working through them. That's what Paul is saying here. The fact that God was working in them was to be an incentive for their obedience, incentive to their activity, an incentive to their service to the Lord and to others. You remember me telling you a story of an old preacher who was once arguing with people about eternal salvation? And he believed that once you're truly saved, you're saved forever. And by the way, I believe the same. But this person was trying to be a little bit argumentative and said, well, if I was like you, I'd just go get myself saved and then I'd go sin all I wanted to because I can't lose my salvation. The old preacher said, listen to me, the old preacher said, you don't understand salvation because when he truly saves you, he saves you want to. You won't sin all you want to. You sin more than you want to. He begins to change us and work through us. God changes us. And what's the motive of this change? He tells us it's for his good purpose. Look at the latter part of verse 13. Did you see it? For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to will and to act for his good purpose. Newsflash. Life is not about you. Newsflash to children and teenagers. It's not about you. Newsflash to adults. You're not the center of the universe. We are to both will and to do for his good purpose. Well, what's God's purpose? Makes it very clear what his purpose is in so many places, doesn't he? First of all, his good pleasure is that you'd be saved. Now, I don't care what John Piper says. You're going to get mad for me putting down anybody else. I don't care what Tim Keller says. The Bible says, look at it in 2 Peter. Look at what the Bible says. The Lord is not slow keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting how many of you to perish. Not wanting any of you to perish. His desire is that every man, woman, boy on the face of this earth would somebody respond, someday respond to the Holy Ghost speaking and say yes in faith to salvation. I don't care what an author says. I care what this author says. And he says if you will come to him, he will save you. He wants all to do so. Now, will all be saved? Well, of course not. Most hard heads say no to the Lord. That's why the Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. But friends, He wants you. What is God's good purpose? He wants you to be saved. He does. He sent His Son to save you. He wants you. But the second part of His good pleasure is that we grow and become Christ-like. 
as we talked about it in Sunday school morning. He wants you to become fruitful and Christ-like. And Ephesians 4.13 that we've already read in our earlier uh, congregational time says it so powerfully that God's purpose and God's great desire is that we come to reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. And we're to do what? Grow into a person who's mature. That's what he wants. He wants you to be saved and then sanctified. He wants you to be saved and then grow into his likeness with full measure of Christ's fullness. That's powerful. What is God's purpose? That we're to work toward, grow toward, love toward, live toward, to be fully mature in him. Does your life show that kind of obedience to Christ? I hope you can say, well, no, but I'm working toward it. As I said earlier, somebody, if there's been no change in your life, there's no Christ in your life. I don't want to be judgmental. I really don't have any judgment in me. But the Bible's clear that those who He truly saves, He begins to change. He begins to work on. Now, who's in here, who in here has made it fully yet? Oh, nobody. Nobody! Not me, not you. But friends, he wants to be pleased at least with our progress. God, work, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for his good purposes. Third, our character must be characterized by a proper attitude and lifestyle. Look at verses 14 and 15. And yes, we just go right down through the Bible. We just go right down through the text. Do everything. How? Without grumbling and arguing. I've told you one of the things in this pandemic that we've gone through in the last year. I've heard more whining than I've ever heard in my life. Every group, every group whines about how hard life is. And it has been hard for some people. Bless you. But I've never heard so much whining and grumbling in my life. Well, that's one thing out yonder. But what happens when the grumbling is inside the family of faith? We don't have that at Pebble Creek, but we don't ever want to have it either. Do everything without grumbling. Just say, quit whining. Say it out loud. Quit whining. <laughs> Do everything without grumbling and complaining. He's referencing, of course, the people of Israel when they were coming through the desert experience. They murmured and they complained. Over and over, and he said, Stop it! Stop it! I want you to exemplify a spirit that's one of purity, be one of absolute non complaint. So, Christians are supposed to be marked not by a mere absence of fault, but by a conspicuous, easy for me to say, exhibition of all the graces that are identified with the indwelling Holy Ghost. My friends, it's not just to say, Well, I'm not griping anymore. It's good to be able to check off a list and say, well, I'm not doing this, this, and this anymore. Well, bless you. I'm not doing anything wrong, preacher. Good. What are you doing right? What are you doing right? I think that's what God really wants to see in us, not just a cessation of evil, but a beginning of growth. What am I doing right? Does your light so shine that others see your good works and glorify the Father? In heaven, you see, Christianity is not a system of what we can't do. It's a system of what we should do and can do. Beautifully positive living out of the graces of the Lord. 
Let's not waste time and energy complaining and murmuring, but saying, okay, God, I want to put my energies toward what really matters. And then last, see the completion of the obedient life. Oh my, it's so beautiful, so beautiful. He wants us to shine like stars in the world, verse 15. Look at the last part of it. Among whom you shine like stars in this world. As a believer, we're, we're believers in what kind of world? He says we're in a crooked and perverse generation, verse 15. That's where we live. That's where our children grow up and our grandchildren grow up and we try to protect them as best we can, but they're going to grow up in an even more perverse and crooked world. That's why, parents, you cannot do this on your own. You need the church to come alongside you and say, let us work with you in growing these children in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We need to be partners so that at the end of the day, we're shining like a star. Now, many people believe Christianity is like a sentence. I got to serve a sentence. I got to do this. I got to do that. It should be looking to shine like a star. So, what's the completion of this life? Yes, it's personal purification. Verse 15 so that you might be blameless and pure. Children of God were faultless in a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. And the second part of that beautiful life is joy. And in, and in verse 16, 17, he talks about joy over and over. Twice he says it. Um, I am poured out even if I die for you. I am glad and I do what? Rejoice. In the same way I want you to rejoice with me. So there ought to be joy, gladness and joy as a part of our lives as believers. I've told some of you before, I know you're happy. You just need to tell your faith that you're happy. Okay? It's okay to smile once in a while. It's okay to laugh some. I want to soar. I want to climb. I want to shine. Say it out loud. I want to soar. I want to climb. I want to shine. Listen to me. We're under attack. I'm telling you, in the last few weeks, I'm not talking about one person. I'm talking about many people, even in our small congregation. You're under attack. I'm under attack. We're under attack. And instead of retrenching and going backwards, we need to say, listen, Lord, I know I'm under attack, and that means something good is happening in my life. And I want to soar with the eagles and quit squabbling with the turkey. I want to climb the new heights that I've never climbed before instead of seeking new areas of low. And God, I want to shine like a star. I want to shine like a star. Not so that people can see me. They'll say, isn't that Jesus in you? Why you're shining like that? I want to soar. I want to climb. I want to shine. Amen, somebody? Pray with me, please. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your precious word that challenges me and challenges us. So God, I pray that as we come before you even now, that we'd be honest with you, taking that spiritual inventory of honesty to say, Lord, I need you. If there was ever a time I've needed you more, it's now. 
And Lord, I want to soar. I want to climb. I want to shine. Help me do so. Not for my honor, not for praise, but for your good purposes. To see people saved and to see people grow. See me saved and see me grow. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.